Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the From Way Downtown podcast. This is Pacers editor Nat Newell. I am here with indie star Pacers insider Dustin Dopirak. Um, obviously draft last night. We are uh, uh, with the Pacers taking um, Jarrace Walker at number Jarris, eight. Yeah. Jarris Walker at number eight. I'm doing really well with all the names. Batting a thousand so far. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, we've talked uh, a lot about him, but just real quick, give us the, the rundown on how he fits with the, what the Pacers are doing. Yeah, I mean, he, he he would seem on paper to be sort of fit exactly the hole that they need. I mean, obviously, he's 19-year-old rookie, so you can't expect necessarily him to walk in the door and, and, and be what he's going to be and, and uh, just be that sort of perfect, uh, you know, athletic, wide-bodied, you know, multi-dimensional power forward that they see him being uh, but they really like his long-term potential to be a, def- a guy who can defend multiple positions keep guards in front of him block shots you know get his hands in passing lanes for steals be a good rotation type of guy uh he's been all that uh as a high schooler and as a college player at houston was kind of a good defender uh both at img academy and houston and they like his offense a lot um this the, the multi-dimensional facet of it i think rick Carlo kind of p- keeps pointing out that there's sort of more there than meets the eye that he's a really good passer he's a really good playmaker and that's sort of a rare thing for a guy who's built like that you know it, it's six eight and and well six six and a quarter in bare feet i mean i, I don't i guess that's how the standards that we're setting is how they were measured at the combine and I, and that makes sense to me but he measured a legit at a legit like 248 uh and he's trimmed up i mean we, we got to see him he was walking around with his shirt off after the workout it was almost <laughs> like he was trying to make sure everybody knew there's not a lot of fat on the man um but you know long arms seven i think two and a half inch wingspan you know vertical leap of about you know 38 inches i think he was one of the top five or ten uh leapers one of the most explosive players at the combine so you you see a lot of potential there for him to guard multiple positions rebound dunk the ball you know make short jumpers finish around the rim hit threes he was around 34 percent it's not lights out but you'll take it guy that can get some assists i think that's he can get more of that i think he can he can be more of an occasional ball handler obviously halliburton's the guy um but there weren't a ton of ton of opportunities in a college game for him to do that with um with marcus sasser was really the ball dominant guy for houston so there's a lot of things that he brings to the table it, it he seemed like kind of the obvious guy from the beginning you know you saw things move around you certainly saw the possibility that he'd go five to the pistons or even six to the magic uh but he was still on the board he was kind of an obvious pick they t- take a step back because apparently Everybody suddenly wanted Bilal Kolobali from France, the teammate of Victor Wembanyama. Uh, they apparently were getting multiple offers from that, and the Wizards, you know, had to make a step forward just to get one. They got a couple uh, second-round picks out of that deal just to move back one spot. So it worked out for them on a bunch of levels. But it seemed like they really was really the fit they wanted. They loved him in his workout. They loved his personality. Really bubbly kid. Seems like he's going to be a great fit in that locker room. So uh, across the board, really good stuff for them with Jairus Walker. And then obviously Ben Shepard out of Belmont was the second first round pick. Uh, mm. 
good shooter as long as he's not at the free throw line where There's he's that. just okay, which is mm. weird. Very um, strange. Supposedly a good defensive player as well. Mm. Again, just sort of give us a quick breakdown on him. Yeah, it was an all-Valley uh, defensive pick as well as an all-Valley all uh, pick too. Is I think Belmont just moved up to the Missouri Valley this year from, I think, the OVC um, last year. Am I right on that? So that's really, really uh, the OVC? Yeah, I believe it says them so. and Murray State. It used to be them and Murray State that yeah. would go after it. So, yeah, I got that right. So he was all-conference in the OVC last year. He was all-Valley, all all-Missouri Valley, all Valley uh, in you know this year. And uh, really, uh, I, I thought it was interesting. Chad Buchanan said that his scouting department had been pounding the table for Ben Shepard for two years. Uh, so, for, so to them, this wasn't a guy who just emerged. Um, but for a lot of the people that follow the draft – reasonably closely not super closely uh he really his name really shot up because he had a really good performance at the combine just scored the ball really well shot the ball really really well defended really well in the scrimmages uh really got his name out there and they loved his workout and rick carlisle apparently just flipped out thought it was awesome uh you know couldn't couldn't say enough about the workout he did obviously the difference is the lottery guys were getting sort of one on o workouts which was really one on player development guys basically they made a point over and over again and say of saying that uh walker had to guard Gennaro pargo and did a pretty good job about it and walker was even walker even said afterwards man pargo's got some moves so that's kind of their <laughs> secret weapon is having pargo as as a guard a really shifty guard that's hard for bigger guys to to, to keep in front of them so he's really who they judge him against um and they can get something out of not having anybody else to work out with Shepard. he was in one of those six-man workouts where we bring you know five other prospects they had some really talented guys in that one as i recall i think city sizoko was another one i think they had tiger campbell i think they had marquise noel i think um was part of that one so a lot of interesting guys that, that were there um for him to make a name for himself and they really loved the hustle they really loved his ability to defend multiple positions but but really saw him flying all over the court carlisle mentioned just a loose ball he chased down they, they really liked all that and the shooting and some really good Good athleticism on top of that got a good bit of length six five you think he's got a pretty good wingspan there too um so he can really kind of solidly defend one through three and they really need to get better on on defensively get more guys to take it serious uh so he really fits i mean they, they were after a lot of guys of similar profiles um you know kind of long players somewhere between the six five and six range could play somewhere between two and four uh you know at least somebody that you could get to play the three somebody that could reasonably play the three even though that's a smaller position now than it used to be um i think that was really important for them there was a lot of guys i'd have believed any number of 10 or 15 players that they could have got at that spot at 26 just because again they brought in 62 guys and just so many of them were uh in that realm those that type of guy and, and he apparently stood out uh from all the ones that were left there were some other guys that were that that left earlier that i think they really liked that uh olivier maxence prosper prosper i don't know if i'm saying his name right i'm sure i'm screwing up the french um <laughs> uh accent to that well called himself omax so i thought it was pretty cool uh, but uh but it, but two picks they're very happy with for sure obviously second round picks uh mojave king and isaiah wong we're not gonna get too deep into them today um kevin pritchard as far back as uh the trade deadline said they wanted to make some moves mm-hmm I don't want to say that they didn't get better because, I mean, as long as Walker is good, mm. then they did. Right. But I don't think anyone sees this as a big splash beyond what you knew going in. Right. How disappointing is that? Uh, and sort of where does that leave them based on what they were hoping to accomplish? It's, it's disappointing. It's not crushing, obviously. Like you said, the most important thing in a draft like this when you have a top 10 pick is that you nail the top 10 pick. 
Uh, everything else you can kind of live with um, after that. As long as you get your guy at that level, uh, you're going to feel like you won. And if I, I think getting two guys that they really feel good about uh, is ultimately a win. But I think they really believe that they could they could turn a lot of those assets into something. And I think they're really kind of coming away from this feeling like, oh, man, like, you know, we're hoping for, for more for that. We're hoping for more return. I mean, I asked Chad Buchanan about that, and he said, man, it wasn't for lack of trying. You know, we, we were marketing those picks in so many different places. The idea of packaging 26, 29, and 32 together, there was a lot of things they wanted. They wanted to move up from seven. They were looking at that. Um, they wanted to move up somewhere in the 10 to 20 range. They said they basically called everybody from 10 to 20 to see what they would move, and everybody wanted to stay. Um, so, I mean, I thought maybe they would feel a little bit disappointed that they made those moves when Cam Whitmore started to slide and got all the way down to 20. And it, it, you would think, okay, if you still had 29 and 32 there, then maybe you could move up. But, but as far as their rationale was, they weren't getting that, and, and that's ultimately why they decided in, in the days prior to the draft to move back. They felt like that was sort of the best value they could get, um, get a first-rounder in next year's draft that they hope, have reason to hope, could be better than 26 it's it's a least favorable pick um it's not the nuggets pick thankfully because there's certainly a possibility the nuggets can run it back and win the whole thing again and you end up at 29 or 30 but it's between houston utah oklahoma city and the clippers so it's the least favorable of those the you know um rockets pick is law is top five protected the jazz pick is top 10 protected and you know, obviously that would mean that takes you out of least favorable contention anyway. So you don't really have to worry that much about the protection. Um, so you got to figure, okay, how do you think good? Do you think the thunder are going to be next year? How good do you think the Clippers are going to be next year? You know, certainly it's altogether possible that this is finally the year that the Clippers put all that together. Um, but if it's not, you know, you, you get them as a playoff team and maybe they're 23, maybe they're 24, still a couple moves up. You know, and that that's what could be looking for. Obviously, the Thunder could get a lot better with with Shea Gilgis Alexander and you know, maybe that's end up it. Chet Chet Holmgren bring him back in, in into the situation, so that might ultimately lead that pick to be a little less favorable if those guys make a leap into say the top four uh, in the West. Um, but it's you have a pretty good chance of it being certainly better than twenty nine and thirty two, and so they felt like moving back made sense. They they moved back. They got the 40, then moved back to 47, I think, to safely be able to say, we're going to make these two ways. Um, and, you know, we're, we're going to be able to insist on these being two-way contracts, uh, you know, with the agents and whatever and say, you know, this is what you're going to have to sign for. If you're going to come play for us, you're going to be a two-way guy. Um, and so I think that's kind of where they wanted to be just so they could, you know, not have some kind of roster crunch, not have to get rid of some guys. And I, I think partially, I, I think they want to sign George Hill. Um, if, if they're going to make one, I think they'd like to do that. Indie guy, I think they, they liked having James Johnson all year. This year, having that real veteran presence, those guys loved him. I don't think you can keep both of them. I don't think you can do George Hill and James Johnson out of the two. One Hill has the uh, benefit of being the indie guy, of having you know the um, experience of having one for the Pacers, and also he's just in a lot better shape. I mean, if, if you made both George Hill and James Johnson run a mile, run a mile George Hill would win it. And I say that with all due respect to James Johnson, who apparently is the guy that everybody's the most afraid of getting the crap kicked out of him. Uh, I think the Athletic has had him in the pool as the guy that you're most afraid to fight. I'm not trying to fight James. He's a good dude. <laughs> he, well, okay. I enjoyed getting to report with, on James this year. Um, and so there's other stuff there, so I'm not going to 
you know old uh you know uh transgressions and whatnot um but uh, you know he was the guy that was very well liked in this locker room um and so if they let him go they're gonna miss him um but uh i think you know if you can only have one old guy and you might as have the guy that that's got a little bit more gas still left in his tank I, a lot of people didn't like trading for next year's that next year's first I, would, I didn't have a problem with it. I mean, number one, you're thinking it's probably mid-20s at worst. Mm. Um, you don't need the pick this right. year, mm. and it helps you next year. Now, again, if it kept them from getting able to trade up for Cam Whitmore, we're talking about a whole other thing. Sure. But I did think that was uh, the way to go. I mean, it right. seemed like it was – I mean, now you have another asset next year. Mm. Um, so maybe next year you can make – Right. You don't have as many assets, but maybe next right. year you're – Better it's just it, it's just disappointing that it's your best case scenario. Yeah, if, if, right, if, exactly. if what you're saying exactly. is because right, basically what they're saying is this is the best that we could do. We tried. We marketed these things everywhere. We 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 literally basically put a sign up that these you know these picks are available and this is the best we could do. Um, and I, I think that's disappointing for them because I know Kevin Pritchard really felt, especially when they got the 32 uh, in the lottery with because the Spurs won the lottery, the Rockets. Yeah, end up getting a higher pick. <laughs> it's going to hurt my head. But the bottom line is because the Spurs won the lottery, you know, they end up getting the Rockets pick. And that being 32 is something like, wow, that really helps. A second-round pick can technically be a two-way. You're going to get three two-ways. That can make a difference. People are going to like this. Bases also looked at it and said, hey, we got Andrew Nimhard last year at 31. People are going to see, hey, you can still get value at 32, so they're going to want this. Um, and the fact that they weren't able to turn that into anything more than a, again, mid-20s pick next year, I'm sure, you know, it, they, just talking to Chad Buchanan, he came off as disappointing. I know talking to Pritchard before, I think he seemed a lot more excited about it and what he was going to imagine getting. Um, so it's, it's a pick that makes sense once you see there's not a better option. Um, and, you know, you could sort of be disappointed. It's like, was that really it? Could you not have held out for one more day? And... You know, if, if it's really not the case, then sure, it makes sense. You know, rather than holding on to it and making the pick and creating this log jam and possibly having to cut somebody and, you know, you end up having a, uh, you know, it basically ends up being a tryout for the, with those, you know, and, and 26 and 29 are guaranteed and 32 is probably in limbo there and that's a good player that you're just sort of casting off. You have, you have a chance of casting off. Yeah, I mean, just go to, through the numbers real quick. They had five picks. They only have three, theoretically or logically, they have three openings on the roster mm-hmm. if you want george hill back that means you have two openings on the roster right now they've got they they with the trades they made they ended up with two first round picks those are going to fill the two spots they got the fifth, 47th pick in king and the 55th pick in uh wong um and those guys will be two ways uh, and oscar shibway is going to be a two-way and yeah and so which means recently maybe, Ke- maybe mm-hmm. kendall brown's not around or maybe right. he's got to be- beat out one of these other guys um, but that's the way the numbers work. And again, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, if you're picking 40th, you're probably getting a guy who doesn't want to be on a two-way. If you're yeah. picking 47th, you're probably getting a guy who is on a two-way. Mm. I understand fans being a little uh, uh, disappointed in moving from 40 to 47, mm. just quote unquote for four million dollars. <laughs> I have always said I will complain about someone else taking money when I turn down ten dollars at some right. point in my life. Exactly. <laughs> but I get where the people are complaining about that, but I also understand the Pacers position. Right. The other thing to understand is like if all you could do if the Hawk said we're not trading DeAndre Hunter unless you give us the seventh pick, mm. 
then you don't have a move to make. Right. If the Raptors say we won't give you OG Ananobi for 7, 26, 29, whatever else. I mean, TJ McConnell or, you know, or the 32, then what I, again, you just get to a point where you just can't do anything. I, I get it. I mean, it's your job. Mm. You get they're, they're, you know, these guys get paid lots of money to make these moves and they didn't do it. I'm not saying yeah. they don't. The criticism isn't warranted when it's there. But I also think there's another side where you just, sure. like I said, you, I, you know, DeAndre Hunter's a nice ball player, I, but Walker mm. could easily be DeAndre Hunter, but he also has a much higher ceiling. So why would you make that trade? Right, yeah. I mean, it, you ultimately – you trust your scouting, you know, you trust the time that you put into them and, and you say, okay, where do we believe this player can be? And if you say, all right, you know, my, my view of it was, if your view is, I hope this guy becomes OG Ananobi someday, then you make the deal. Right. If your view is, this guy can be better than OG Ananobi someday, and I really, really believe that, then you don't. Um, and, and I think that's it. And there was also, I mean, Chad mentioned, um, hey, you know, some of these guys are on one-year deals. You're, you're, you know, they're, they're on a contract that's going to expire at the end of next year. You're making this deal in hopes that you'll be able to resign him. And so it's like, that's a risk. You know, whether or not you feel confident about that, it's a risk. I mean, you would really have to uh, feel really, really sure that you're going to get this person to, you know, get on to a longer-term deal um, so that you're not just grabbing them from throwing away. Because, it, I mean, as far as their timeline is concerned, you know, I, I think it's – it's I, it, they should view this year, I do believe, and I wrote this, that, that they should try to make the playoffs. That being said, they're not swinging for everything. Like They can't throw the future away for this year. I, I think it makes sense to not try to take a step back. I think it's important for them to continue positive momentum. But positive momentum is getting in. You know, it's not throwing away assets for next year, the year after that, the year after that, you know, in, in hopes to swing for the fences and try to get above uh, out of your shoes and try to do something that it doesn't look like it's possible for you to do. You know, I, I'd be, you know, obviously they could get lucky in, in a seven, seventh round if, if they managed to get the six, maybe they could get lucky. But largely, I look at this and I, I, I don't see them as a top four team in the East, you know, whatever they do. I, I don't think there's anything that makes them a top four team in the East, um, but I think they could be a top eight team in the East. And you know, if, if you, you, it makes sense to make some moves that are a little bit aggressive in pursuing that, but only so aggressive. It doesn't make sense to go after somebody I don't think who's older than 27. That would be the line I would draw. OG and DeAndre Hunter are under that line. Tobias Harris and Dorian Finney-Smith are over that line. Um, so you know, th- those are some players I wouldn't mess with. I certainly wouldn't trade the seventh pick for a guy who's 30 years old. Right. Um, what's next? They've got $32 million, I think was the last number I saw on salary cap space. That That's what Chad Buchanan said today. I thought it was 25, but obviously this I stuff moves. I think there's obviously a new you know, cap number. Um, yeah, as far the cap as, was $2 million more. Than yeah, I think it's a, few, it's a little like bit that. higher. Um, there are some guys out there who can play forward. I mean, it's not mm. a great free agency class, but Harrison Barnes comes to mind. Sure. Yeah. There are some other guys. Uh, now, again, we just talked about how they're sort of at 15 on the roster. Mm. So I, I don't know if they're thinking free agency or not, but there right. are some guys out there that they could get that all of a sudden, like you say, I mean, I, they were in the playoffs until Halliburton got hurt. Mm. The schedule was easier. You know, if you want to tell me that they were like sixth, I don't think they were the sixth best team in the East. They weren't going to be sixth. But they, they yeah. would have been at least in the play-in if Halliburton doesn't get yeah. hurt, I believe. Mm. If you add a good wing 
small forward, power, especially a power forward, all of a sudden Walker's coming off the bench instead of you're counting on him to start. Mm. I, it seems like there is a path here to the Pacers being, you know, t- I mean, they, they won 10 more games this year than last year. Right. It's not out of the realm of possibility that they win 10 more next year and they get to 44, 45, whatever it is. Yeah, no, it's not, not out of there at all. Certainly if you get Walker to, you know, step up, that makes a difference. Uh, you know, again, I, I, I think obviously you got to look at the free agent market. Again, there's not a whole lot of uh, – a ton of names, but Harrison Barnes is one that I, that I think they'll at least certainly kick the tires on. Um, there's also not a ton of teams with salary cap space. So right, that, that exactly, well. exactly. So they, they've got some, some flexibility, some opportunity to move around and, and go after some guys. And, and, you know, $32 million is enough. You know, to get you somebody. Um, you know, obviously, we, we've talked for years and years about um, you know what all of the things that hold them back when it comes to free agency. So that, you know, they're they're not shooting from the moon, but I mean, there, there's not necessarily a moonshot free agent out there to start with, um, really, in this class. I mean, I think there's a lot, a lot of they're going to open up next year. Um, that sort of might, you know, it might be a situation where you have enough movement that they sort of slide in the middle there and, and, and get somebody. But there's a few a, a few names, I think, that make some level of sense. I mean, I think they, they can obviously still make some trades. Um, you know, it's different without that kind of draft capital. They still do have more draft capital. They still have that first-round pick for next year. Obviously, they can move if they wanted to. Um, you know, I, I presume that, you know, Buddy Heald will be on the market. They'll see what they can get for him, see what's out there, you know, test those waters to see. And, and obviously, I don't think run away from him because again he's a guy that spaces the floor he's he does a lot for them to make them work Tyrese Halliburton loves him to death um and you know he creates a lot of gravity opens up the middle of the floor it allows Halliburton to to work allows Turner to work uh allows a a lot of things to to work for that offense so you know they're not going to just toss him away for peanuts um but you know he's on an expiring contract and I don't think they want to give him a raise from the 19 million he's going to make um, so if someone else is more interested, I, I think they'd be certainly uh, willing to listen there. You know, I think there are some smaller moves that they almost have to make. Then they've got to try to move Daniel Tice, you know, somehow, some way, you know, see what they could package there just to, to move out that space so that they could let Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith at least just compete by themselves, uh, for that position if they're not going to make a decision between the two of them yet. Um, so there, there are some smaller moves they're going to make. I, I think this, this knocked them back a little bit in terms of their itchiness to make a big deal. I think Kevin Pritchard had it in his mind that he was going to take a really big swing at some point, whether it was going to be in the draft or in free agency or, or in trades. And I think he probably has to recalibrate uh, his goals there a little bit. But I still think there is uh, at least one or two moves on the board here for them that, that they can make to try to you know add to this roster. Yeah, a couple other uh, free agents certainly not reporting anything here. I'm literally just looking at the list of actual free agents who are available. Harrison Barnes, he's 31, maybe a little too old. Kyle Kuzma is mildly interesting, 28. Um, you know, Rui Hachimura um, is mildly interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cam Johnson, I believe, is a restricted free agent. Uh, you Brooklyn's going to have a hard time re-signing him. So Grant Williams is another interesting one. It doesn't seem like he's sticking with the, the with the Celtics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there are some names out there. Uh, Reeves with the, the the Lakers is another restricted guy who, you know, if I was the Pacers, I would have no qualms overpaying because that's just how this works. Sure. If you like him, again, he's a little. I wish he was a little bigger for what the Pacers need, but mm. but there's some guys out there that I think. They could do something, you know, they could make a move and all of a sudden it's a lot more interesting. I also think, um, you know, 
now where before trading Tice for a second round pick this year didn't make any sense. Right. Trading him for a second round pick next year or the year after or whatever makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you want to give away TJ McConnell, but I would think there'd be interest out there. He's another one that you could. I mean, it right. seems like you're yeah. getting just a second rounder for him. I, I set a high bar there. I mean, I, I don't I, I don't like give him away from that. a second rounder. I, I, I don't give him away from a second rounder. I mean, and, and so at the end of the day, you're probably not going to give him away from a pick. Um, it, you know, I, I, I don't know that any, you know, no one's going to give you a valuable enough pick for him to be worth it. Right. right. Um, you know, like you, you'd have to get another player that, that fits what you want. Maybe some, maybe a, again, a, a solid veteran power forward. You can bring out the bench maybe. Um, but he matters, you know, he makes a difference, uh, for all of his limitations and whatnot. Dude finds a way to get a bucket. He does. I you thought know, I will just, fully admit. It's amazing. I thought he was just a guy when they brought him in. He is not mm. just a guy. He is, but yeah. he's better than that. Um, you know, he holds another one. Obviously, as you mentioned, you want, now because he's on an expiring contract, you know, do you get a lottery protected first for him or something like that? That's a possibility sure. as well. But uh, mm. um, all right, let's hit the. Uh, I mean, one of the perhaps maybe the biggest news was Trace Jackson Davis yeah. <laughs> uh, going with the second last pick. Let's hit uh, Jalen Hudshafino first, real quick, because I think it's a little bit less in depth. Mm. Um, what are your thoughts on him going to the Lakers? I, I mean, I think that's a good fit. Happy for him. Obviously, he was a big Laker fan. I would think when he re- we, he announced to IU, he was wearing he he did his video in a yep. Kobe Bryant yep. jersey. Uh, so that's cool for him. Um, you know, really thought that there was a big range for him. There was, I, I think, some kind of weird moves around. You know, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Uh, well, really starting with Kalabali going early uh, to the Wizards, it was just interesting as how much of a jump he made. Um, and and I, I expected him somewhere in the, the ten to fifteen range, just because there was a lot of positive buzz. But I think that shook it up a little bit. Um, you know, Grady Dick still being on the board at thirteen. You know, allowed Toronto to take him, and I thought, um, you know. Toronto would have been a good landing spot for him. I thought, um, you know, Utah, apparently Utah had some interest. Interestingly enough, you know, Drew Shafino, his uh, uncle, was tweeting at me. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I've known, I've known of Drew since I was in high school because Drew graduated from Penn Hills, I think, a year before I graduated from Norwood. And Drew was the, you know, <laughs> Drew was the guy uh, at Penn Hills way back then and back in, in, in the Whippeal. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he – tweeted at me saying I'd be really surprised if, if, if he's on the board if Utah doesn't take him. So things must have gone reasonably well with them. They end up with Taylor Hendricks, which I think it you know makes sense not to let that guy go because I, mean, I think the Pacers would have been ter- perfectly happy to have him um, as well. And I was a little surprised that Utah left him on the board at 16. I think it was Keontae George they ended up taking. I believe so, yeah. Pretty yeah. high ceiling guard, you know, guy that was kind of all over the place too, can be a real scorer. And so a little bit of a risk um, as to whether he's not going to make it. But I, I think – I think a lot of people viewed Hood Shafino as a very safe choice as far as just being an NBA-ready point guard because he's just steady. Um, and so it, it, it seemed safe to me for a while that he was going to be a top-20 pick. I thought he could have gone a couple picks higher, but it's good, obviously, to get an established franchise, get to go play with LeBron James. Never a bad thing. Yeah, the only, you know. I guess the only kind of uh, thing that you worry about is he was – I don't think he was a great catch-and-shoot guy. No. Which is what you want to play with LeBron. Yes. He's young, but I mean, also you know, we're not. I mean, to expect a nineteen, twenty-year-old point guard to, to yeah. walk into what was yeah. maybe the second-best team in the NBA by the end by the playoffs last year mm. um, is a little crazy. But uh, but yeah, you yeah. can't go wrong playing. For, you know, it seems like a good spot to start with him. Yeah, and he'll be a second. He'll be a second-unit point guard to start. He'll be able to probably run that unit um, and do more of the, his things. I mean, obviously, LeBron is 
the guy who runs the entire show over there. And and, and when uh, when LeBron's on the floor, Jalen is not going to be in control. <laughs> He's just going to do whatever he can. But when uh, you know when LeBron's off, and you know full second unit, which you know will be able to run that. You know he'll be able to make some of the plays you've seen him make. The you know pull up coming off the dribble, you know off the off the ball screen. You know is was such a, a go to thing for him. Uh, so many different ways he could get to that shot. You know solid finish at the rim. Obviously not elite athleticism, but pretty good athleticism. You know really good size for the position. Um, he's a good fit. I, again, I, I think he was just solid. I think he was just one of the steadiest point guards coming out of college uh maybe the steadiest point guard coming out of college and so you know a good fit for the lakers good fit for him you know just it, it was just clear it was time for him to move uh move on you know grew up so much once xavier johnson got hurt and and was the best thing for him and he ends up in pretty good shape there let's move on to obviously trace jackson davis give us the Pacers side of this why he did not the pacers had two chances to take him late in the second round they didn't yeah. Tell us why that happened. Yeah, no. Chad Buchanan explained it that there was a fair amount of conversation that went with went to Trace and to his agency. Um, you know, the Pacers clearly viewed him as a small ball five, and you know, obviously he has the body in theory that you could be a power forward in the NBA. But that's really been the conversation we've been having about Trace Jackson Davis for the last four years. Is that there are things the power forward now has to do in the NBA that they didn't have to to do before. You know, in in you know years past when it was a more half court oriented, you know, three out two posts type of game where you could play with your back to the basket as a four man, and nobody does that at all. You barely play the back your back to the basket as a five man now. Um, that's a rare thing. You have to you know like you only do that on occasion, um, and so you know like he's not a Tim Duncan, Carl Malone you know, era power forward, power forward, you're expected to shoot threes, to spread the ball, spread the floor at least somewhat. You don't have to be a lights out 40, 45% guy, but you probably got to hit at least 30%, you know, somewhere around 35. Again, Jackson Davis took three threes his entire college career. You got to be able to handle the ball on the perimeter, you know, like you got to initiate offense from there. You've got to be able to defend on the perimeter. You've got to be able to switch one through four and feel really comfortable in those situations. Um, and, you know, I mean, he operated as the center all four years at Indiana, and, and I think he can be um, – I, I, I think he showed with his size that he can be a solid small ball five in the NBA. The issue is the Pacers already have several small ball fives playing behind Miles Turner. They already had a log jam to start with. Um, with Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson and Daniel Tice. And so if you brought in Trace Jackson Davis, you would only add to that. It would make sense from the Pacers' standpoint, and I said this on Twitter at the time when I saw that he was available, if you could put him on a two-way. And I think, you know, because that's how you could, if you want to force him to be a four, that's how you could do it. Because I think a bigger bigger reason why Trace Jackson Davis did not take any three-point shots is because he wanted to win the game. He saw that saw it as detrimental for him to win in the game, even though it would have helped him with NBA scouts. He thought it would be better to not shoot threes because he was way more effective at the rim and that, you know, that he really felt like every possession mattered for that Indiana team in his four years as they struggled. Obviously, his first two seasons, you know, barely got into the tournament thanks to a, a phenomenal Big Ten tournament run by him, um, you know, in that in that season. And then this year, I think they wanted to get everything they could get. And he just felt like, you know, what point is there for me to take a shot that I'm making, maybe going to make 30% of the time if I'm lucky rather than get one that I can get 65% of the time, uh, you know, his ability to get to the rim. So that made sense. He, you know, if he's ever going to shoot threes, he has to go play games that don't matter, you know, and that means going and playing the G League where you literally go there and say, it does not matter if you win, you know, and so go take threes, take whatever threes you want, chuck it, 
please do. You know, handle the ball in the perimeter, whatever. We're just trying to develop here. The, the results don't matter. And he would have had to be okay with that, and apparently he wasn't, and I get it. And not only that, he goes to a great position in Golden State where they desperately need a backup five man. I mean, he, he, you know, unless they add somebody, he can walk into immediate playing time over there because you've got, you know, like Jermichael Green's a 33-year-old free agent, good chance they don't re-sign him. They just traded away Patrick Baldwin. Um, you know, Draymond Green is a 4-5. You've got Kevon Looney. You're behind those guys, but those are good guys for you to look up to, you know, good guys for you to learn from um, that sort of fit there. There's opportunity to play and um, and play his type of game. You know, Draymond Green has been as effective as he is because they let him pass. You know, they let him play make out of a pick and roll uh, as the role guy. And, you know, Trace Jackson Davis has the skill set that he could be that type of player. And so it fits really well. It, uh, uh, just, again, apparently just with conversations between the Pacers uh, and Trace and, and his team, it was like basically like, hey, if you're going to be at 47, we want you to be a two-way. Are you okay with that? And basically that's it was no. And I, either at 47 or at 55, certainly at some point uh, you know, the Warriors situation materialized that is way better than they could have asked for. And, and, you know, Chad Buchanan went out to say, you know, we're happy for him. We're going to be rooting for him. We think he's a great kid you know a, a great player it's just we you know we think he's a center and we have four centers and so I, mean, I think a lot of people out there looking and say well you don't have a lot of forwards you're drafting all these guards but it's like that only makes sense if you imagine him as a four and he has not proven himself to be a four yet he, I, again i think he has proven that he can be an effective five um but if he's going to be a four he has to show you some things that he has never shown i always amazes me i mean like number one I hope he's a huge success. Why mm-hmm. wouldn't I? Why? I mean, right. you want everyone to be successful. Sure. But right. you, 60 guys just got drafted. 30 of them are going to have some kind of impact on the NBA this mm-hmm. year. Tops, that means half of them aren't going to. Uh, we were talking about this earlier. That's, I mean, there's 300 Division yeah. One teams mm-hmm. with however many players each, and only 30 what, of 13 them 13 scholarships are, each. Yeah. are making it to the NBA. It is yeah. really, really hard. Yeah, if someone can do it, you, uh, you can, I can see it with him. But it, it, it's just always amazes. I mean, but again, mm-hmm. he got passed on 56 times. I mean, there's obviously some sense of. Mm-hmm he's a little bit of a long shot to make mm-hmm. it in the NBA. And it always interests me just how passionate people are about, mm-hmm. you know, what they think and mm-hmm. what should have happened to him. Mm-hmm. It speaks well to the, you know, the, yeah. the fan base for the Hoosiers right. that they care. This, this is why we have readership now. Yes. Yes, exactly. So it's <laughs> this great. Is why we have readership. Yeah, it's no, great. I mean, and, and like we said, we're, you know, this is probably the num- most read story we have. Mm-hmm. Sure. With, and it's the 57th. Yeah, guy taken in the draft, so it's it's amazing, mm. but uh, it, 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 but again, the odds are are long, and it, mm. so yeah. it's you know I yeah. I feel like I have to be the bad guy and note that. And the other thing sure. is, mm. five years from now, he could not make it in Golden State for any number of reasons, and five years from now, carve out an eight year NBA career. Mm. And that can happen too. So yeah. it's just it's so wide open. Sure. Yeah, all the possibilities and, and there. Several things work out in his favor. He is super intelligent. He is going to be a great locker room guy, and that matters. I mean, like you really, really got to see it up close with this, the chemistry the Pacers had. Being a lo- good locker room guy matters. Being a good locker room guy again. Being a good locker room guy got James Johnson a bunch of money this year. He barely played. You know. Be a good enough locker room guy, man. Like it, it, it can help. And obviously, got to be able to do stuff. Like I mean, it's not like 
you know, you or I can just decide we're going to be best friends with everybody and that's going to get us an NBA <laughs> contract. But, you know, like guys at that level can stick around a lot longer by fitting in and by adapting. And, and, and he has all of that ability and all that um, capacity. And, and, and certainly there were, you know, it, but it just came down to this guy measures six foot eight, you know, barefoot. He wants, he's, he is at this point a center. So who needs that? You know, I mean, some do again, again, but it's just like it, there, there are a bunch of other guys who want to be that now. And so you're competing with a lot of other players. Again, I think, you know, looking at if, if you were to bring him in with Jalen Smith, and Isaiah Jackson, he might be the best all around player. If you were building a college program around them and say, okay, who has got the best chance of taking me somewhere? It's probably trace, but each of those two guys has a skill that they're better at than him. Isaiah Jackson is the best raw athlete, best leaper. You know, out of that three, you know, Jalen Smith averaged 11.2 rebounds per 36. You know, like that's a hard, that's hard. I mean, he, 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 he rebounded at a higher rate than Miles Turner did per 36. Right. So, you know, that's why they're having a tough time deciding between those two is, is and, and Jalen Smith is a more accomplished shooter, has more, um, you know, it just it had a pretty good pedigree as a shooter at Maryland, only ended up shooting 28% from three last year, but again, way more experience as an outside shooter than Trace Jackson Davis was. So you can't say, well, he'll definitely be able to better than 20%. You don't know that. Jalen Smith is way further along in terms of his experience as a shooter than, than Trace Jackson Davis is. So, you know, like you could say, well, he's better than those two guys, but he's not going to blow the doors off, especially as a backup. You know, like you don't win that job and just keep it. It's like if, if you're not doing it that great, you, you'll, you'll run the other guy. Like it's Miles Turner's job. None of those three are beating Miles Turner, period. You know, he is head and shoulders above the other, the other three guys. So you're scrapping for those 18 minutes. And if you go out there for a couple of minutes and it's not your night, the other guy gets to play. Um, and it might be a matchup they like better. And so you're in the middle of that. And each of those guys would lose opportunities. I think just to, to, to the excitement level, I wanted to go back to that point because it's just it is it is just the one most wonderful microcosm of what Indiana is. Sometimes you want to talk him talk him off the ledge. Obviously, like I'm not from here, man. I married him. Um, and but like. It is sort of this ultimate dream for Indiana fans. They want cradle to the grave. You know, they want you know you to play your high school ball here, your college ball here, your NBA ball here, and they won't be able to see all of that. And it'd be right here. And that that's that they they love hard that way. And that is what makes this place what it is. And there's probably I don't know if there's another NBA team that has this sort of little piece of pressure on it about are you going to draft an IU guy? Does, do, do the Harness have that with North Carolina and Duke? I don't think so. You know, they, they draft those guys because there's pros, but, like, I don't think anyone is sitting there telling you, the Hornets, you have to draft this guy for Duke or we're going to rebel. You know, I don't maybe know. Maybe the Raptors with Canadian players, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, something like that, yeah, maybe, and that's a reach. Think, yeah, you know, I like, even, no one's demanding that the Celtics draft somebody from Boston College or UMass. You know, like like this. Not like this at all. And, but again, that shows the passion that shows how well, how tightly they connect to these guys, you know? And so again, so again, if you're listening to this podcast, it's your, because you're probably one of those people. So we thank you, Absolutely. Um, but you need to take it down a notch. I had somebody say like, they need to disband the Pacers. They need to get rid of them entirely. They're a broken franchise that they don't take trades. Like you're going to take it down a notch. And for your guy, for your hometown boy from Central Grove, Mr. Basketball, beloved guy at IU, this is a great 
situation for him. I mean, great. He could not have asked for better. And they're literally talking about having him on the 15-man. Mike Dunleavy's out there saying, hey, we don't have a lot of forwards. You know, He's going to get a crack out of the 57th pick. Not a lot of 57th picks get a chance. He is going to be way ahead of the game of guys who usually get picked that low. He's going to have an opportunity that, that very few players who get picked that low have. Um, so, you know, be happy for Trace Jackson Davis, man. This is going to work out way better for him than if he would have stayed in town. We've got plenty up on the Pacers and Trace Jackson Davis already at IndyStar.com. We've got more coming. Uh, uh, Tyler Toshman was spent the day in the draft with – Good Trace. for Tyler, man. That's uh, going to be a great story. So look forward to that on IndyStar.com. Um, uh, and, uh, again, we'll end it there. And uh, uh, please keep uh, reading and coming to IndyStar. Yep. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.